Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by our 49ers wine bottle team. We already discussed this before. We've been mentioning this very earlier on in the season that we were going to do a wine bottle team. We thought the perfect time to do this will be right here and now. We have a bye week. It has been one of the roughest, most dramatic seasons that the 49ers have had in recent memory. I mean, this is this feels very much like 2014 Harbaugh year. It feels like 2018 when Jimmy G went down his first time. And so we thought, let's take a break. Let's take a break from all the drama and let's just celebrate the last 40 years of, of the 49ers squad by putting together our wine bottle team. Now, before we do that, though, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can always follow us on Instagram at the Goldcast, and you can also follow us on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast. And be sure to like, subscribe to YouTube, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that uh, podcasts are syndicated, you can find the Goldcast. And if you want to join the conversation, uh, YouTube is the best place for that. YouTube slash the Goldcast. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And be sure to hit the no little notification bell on YouTube just because uh, their algorithm is a little bit funky. So if you do hit the bell, that's the best way to get notifications on when our new episodes go live. All right. And here we go. Wine Bottle Team and the return of our third co-host, our main man. We've all been eagerly awaiting. He is back. Our boy Candlestick Will is in the building. We have missed him tremendously. He's had a lot of stuff to do, but he is finally back. So here we go. Greatest fanalist of the game is in the building. The professor of fanalism, the wine bottle team, classes in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. And our esteemed, dramatic, triumphant return of our third co-host. Candle, stick, will. <laughs> Boom! Man, Candlestick Will, it is so great to see your face again. We miss you, buddy. How have you been? Let's go. Let's do this. I'm ready. I'm pumped. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. So we put together, this is the brainchild once again of our genius friend, third co-host here, Candlestick Will. We put together a 49ers wine bottle team. So what we did is we took all of the major players from across all the years. And if we were going to just put together our ultimate team, but not just based on the players, but their actual most successful years, what would that team look like? Candlestick Will took to Twitter. He took your votes. Uh, we do have we do have a, a couple places where the audience has actually kind of overrode us, and we'll talk about that in the actual list. But this is our wine bottle team comprised of Candlestick Will, Votes on Twitter and just general discussion here amongst the gold cast. So here we go. So we're going to start. We're going to start this episode. This first episode, we're going to be focusing on the offense. The second episode, we will be talking about the defense. But first up, Candlestick Will, he had a huge discussion on Twitter with a lot of Goldcast Empire, his followers, 49er Faithful, 
and we wanted to touch on this, the discussion of Jimmy G. And Kanisuk Will, you were talking about you're kind of seeing a trend here. This is like now, in your estimation, the fourth quarterback, it seems like that the, that the 49ers or maybe the 49er fans want to run out of town. So let's start with this first because obviously this is probably the biggest subject is the future of Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers going into next season. So I'm going to turn over to you and your thoughts on this subject. Well, it, it started from just some conversations I was having with people on Twitter about just how with all this negativity towards Jimmy G, even during the playoff run last year, but his entire time with the Niners, basically ever since he got hurt after that 5-0 and start, because I think it was actually pretty amazing the showering of love that Jimmy G had when he went five and zero, coming back from injury and that off season, a lot of Niner fans felt like we finally found our franchise quarterback. And that's exactly why I think he's been given so much hate since, because what happened when we were young was we saw two of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the sport back to back on this franchise and Joe Montana and Steve Young poisoned Niner fans for their viewpoint of what a Niners quarterback should look like for the rest of time, because it's so hard to ever have a quarterback of that caliber on a franchise in the history of the league, not just on a, on the Niners, like to ever have a quarterback as good as Steve young in your franchise is rare to ever have one even better as Joe Montana was, is even more rare because it just doesn't come. They're generational talents and they happen to both be on the same team for several years. So from 1979 to 1999, the Niners always had at least one Hall of Fame quarterback playing for them. That's insane. And so since then, the Niners haven't had a single Hall of Fame quarterback. Most teams haven't. And the way they treated Jeff Garcia, the way they ended up treating Alex Smith, the way they ended up treating Colin Kaepernick, and the way they're currently treating Jimmy Garoppolo is, to me, mostly because of the way that they viewed the quarterback position in San Francisco, that they just saw a bar that was so insanely high after what they saw with Montana and Young that they just don't accept a quarterback not being able to get there. And the reality is is that Jeff Garcia is a three-time Pro Bowler who took them to multiple playoff appearances, that Alex Smith, after finally getting healthy and finally having a consistent coach for the first time in his life, took them to the playoffs in 2011. Then Colin Kaepernick took him to a Super Bowl. And now Jimmy G took him to a Super Bowl, which they had a lead in the fourth quarter and could have easily won. And once again, for the fourth straight time, they've had a damn good quarterback who's about to get run out of town. And I don't think it's necessarily bad to think that Jimmy Garoppolo you know, should be a little better or could be a little bit more consistent. But the idea that he's not a good quarterback is just wrong. He is a good quarterback. He's just not a great quarterback yet. Now, will he ever get there? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But he's certainly better than most quarterbacks in the league because there aren't that many quarterbacks for sure that are better. You know, we were talking off camera about, you know, if they could get a Dak Prescott or if they can get an Aaron Rodgers or, you know, maybe they throw a bunch of first-round picks at the Texans and get Deshaun Watson if, if the Texans want to restart. But whatever, whatever quarterback you think would be an upgrade, how many are there really out there that are, that are an upgrade? And, if, and some of the ones that are might be guys who are in their last year or two. You know, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't have 10 more years. So the 
idea that Jimmy Garoppolo is not the guy to get you to a Super Bowl, well, technically he already did, and it wasn't necessarily his fault that they didn't win. You know, there was a lot of factors in that game of, of why it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. So I think ultimately fans, at no fault of their own, because we grew up, we were raised on Hall of Fame talent. We were raised on Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And we'll talk in this wine bottle team, we'll talk about the battle of the two Hall of Famers. But fans thinking that getting rid of Jimmy G is going to fix all these problems, it's just, at this point, I I'm, 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 might be stepping on your toes from the last eight weeks, but it's really just injuries. You know, there might be some other things really going on, but if the, if these guys were relatively healthy, they'd be a damn good team right now, and Jimmy G would be so much better because he'd have the a, a full wide receiver core, and he'd have a defense that would keep, you know, would knock teams off the field in, you know, three and outs. And they're not, they don't have that because half their team's missing. So, you know, to put all this on Jimmy G is what the Niner fans have done to those other three quarterbacks and basically run them out of town. Raymond, your thoughts? I think it's, it always kind of surprises me, or maybe, maybe it shouldn't surprise me so much that so many fans, you know, because they're so passionate and they love the 49ers so much, they easily succumb to tunnel vision as to like what what the inherent problem is with with their team and they think they just know all the answers and they forget the fact that there's 10 other players on the field that have to operate you know partial in sync with the other players in order to make any given play in any given series function um so you know i think fans are easy forgetting the fact that we're on our fourth string center we have a rookie wide receiver out there, a Trent Taylor with a hurt back. George Kittle is gone. Debo Samuel is gone. Maybe he comes back this week. Um, Kendrick Bourne's off the COVID list, so that's a good thing. But, I mean, they forget that all these other chips are, are injured and out of the equation. The Almost the entire starting defensive roster is gone, with the exception of Jimmy Ward. Tart is injured again. The, the corners are there. Sherman is back. That's good news. But... Um, the d- defensive line is hit is three out of the four starters are all gone with the exception of Eric Armstead, including the backup rotation guys are gone. Solomon Thomas, uh, Street, uh, Kerry Hyder, the new guy, he's done good. But uh, but there's like so many the linebacker we just traded Quan Alexander. He's not there anymore. You know, so there's so many guys are gone and all those guys were necessary and contributing to that Super Bowl run last year. And the fact that they are not there is in dick is you know that's why we don't have the results that we have right now all those pieces are missing every you know that's i think more than half of the starters are gone on offense and defense so and this was kind of the we talked about injuries in 2018 in in 2020 here you think you've got you know more than more than half on both sides of the football gone this time it's worse than than that time uh in my opinion in my estimation it's worse than 2018 um, but I think some of the saving graces, some the the we're a little bit deeper into Kyle Shanahan's system, so there's a little bit more polish and understanding as to what needs to be done to score points. And defensively, uh, thank God uh, Sala has actually evolved as a coordinator and is able to kind of get a little bit, make a little bit, so, turn something, uh, turn nothing into something with some of the guys he's got. Albeit, you know, they're still getting kind of run on the table with the better teams. And I expect more of that to come as long as that roster continues to remain depleted as it is. But, but overall the fans kind of disappoint me with their tunnel vision because it just kind of makes them look ignorant and naive 
you know, it, it basically is a reminder that they really don't understand the sport once they get tunnel vision and think that it's really just on one guy. Um, not to say that their criticism isn't completely false, but it's missing a lot of other components that are contributing to the drawbacks of Jimmy Garoppolo this season. There's Some of it is on him, but everything is nuanced. It's not black and white. Some of it's on other players too. And I just don't know why people don't understand that. But I'm with you, Candlestick Will. Um, the fans are definitely running him out of the table. They were running Steve out of the out of the out of the room before he started when he was covering for Joe Montana back when he injured his back. And it wasn't until that Minnesota game when they started to realize, you know, that Steve Young's got got some talent um, when he did the famous 49 run uh, against the Vikings. But um, I think even Brent Jones said that they were kind of running him out of town even during that game. And it was that that single play that kind of kind of woke people up as as to you know that he was much more capable than what he would had led on to to be up to that point. But yeah, that's my two cents. Well, and if if, if Twitter if Twitter existed in ninety two and ninety three and ninety four, holy crap! Holy, holy crap! The things that would have been said by Niner fans about Steve Young, because until you know his whole you know take the monkey off my back you know that he said at the Super Bowl. That that was because of all the just the ugliness of Niner fans for years saying he wasn't Joe. Yeah, and press. Yeah, and so it's you know, it, and it's one of those things. It's just the bar is just way too high, and it's not, and again, I don't blame Niner fans for that because what what when you grow up with that kind of level, you just you know you know what the mountaintop looks like. Now, how many you know Lions fans don't know what the mountaintop looks like, other than knowing that they had they once had a great running back one time and they once had a great receiver one time. But it's like most fans have no clue what an elite quarterback looks like day in and day out. And the Niners had two of them back to back. So again, th- this isn't even a, a criticism of Niner fans as far as like you should know better. Like, you actually shouldn't know better. You know now we've had twenty years of this where we've seen what everyone else has always dealt with at quarterback. But at the same time, it's like we still have that knowledge that Joe Montana and Steve Young is the best of the best, and I'd love to have another one like that. So the fact that they could have technically drafted Patrick Mahomes, I'm sure pisses off a lot of Niner fans because that would have been their next, you know, Joe or Steve. Um, But, you know, there's 14 other teams that didn't know Patrick Mahomes was who he was going to be. So it's, you know what I mean? And so it's not like... (laughs) It was a guarantee, you know, and and I, I'm not even following college football like I n- normally would, but whoever the number one for sure quarterback is, there's no guarantee that guy's going to be a for sure stud. It's not like the, the Bengals aren't undefeated right now, right, with the kid from LSU. So it's not like, you know, it's not like it's going to guarantee wins just because you go out and you get a franchise quarterback because that word franchise quarterback was used for Mark Sanchez and Vince Young and, you know, and a ton of other quarterbacks who – looked like sure things and didn't end up working out. So, you know, it's such a it's such a volatile position. I mean, the bottom line is is that quarterback is still and will always is ever since the forward pass was invented, quarterback became the most important position on the field in the NFL. And since then, the majority of Super Bowls have been won by Hall of Fame quarterbacks. But there also have been a dozen Super Bowls that have been won by non Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And it is possible to win Super Bowls without the elite quarterback at your side, it's so much easier to win when you have one, but so few teams have one, which is why, you know, there's so many franchises that have maybe made to one, made it to one Super Bowl because they don't get to have Hall of Fame quarterbacks that often. 
And a lot of teams that did have Hall of Famers like the Warren Moons and the Jim Kellys and the Dan Marinos have zero Super Bowls. So it doesn't even guarantee you a Super Bowl. So it's just it, Niner fans need to realize that when you're building a team, yeah, if you could ideally pick out a Patrick Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson or, or whoever, the, whoever you think the number one quarterback for sure is in the NFL right now, of course you'd want that guy if you could pick one guy. But until then, you better have a better replacement if you're going to get rid of Jimmy G. You better be able to replace him with someone who's going to be an upgrade. Because if you replace him with someone less than, your team's going to be so much worse. And that's the thing that I think Niner fans don't realize is that if you get rid of Jimmy G and replace him with Beathard and Mullins, you're going to be a terrible team for a while until you find a better quarterback. Because the Niners have had four all-pro-level, you know, all pro-bowl quarterbacks since young. They've had Jeff Garcia, Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick, and now Jimmy G. And three of them were basically dumped out of here. You know, and so will it be four? I don't know. But Jeff Garcia was cut for salary cap reasons. They traded Alex Smith for a second-round pick, and then they let Kaepernick walk. And they let him opt out of his deal because they didn't want to resign him. That's pretty, a pretty crappy way to handle three you know, Pro Bowl-level quarterbacks that you've had in your system in the last 20 years. When you've also been a team that had, you know, Sean Hill and, and guys that weren't good at all be your starting quarterback. So <laughs> Yeah, Jim Drunk. Exactly. So I'm just saying, like, in the, last, in the last 20 years, you've had J.T. O'Sullivan's and thought you actually had a quarterback. You know, it's like, so when you actually really did have good quarterbacks, you didn't appreciate them enough, and fans certainly didn't, because they let them all, let them all go and weren't that sad when they left. You know, people act like Colin Kaepernick was terrible. He threw for 16 touchdowns, had four interceptions his last year with the Niners. If they, if the team was healthy and if he was healthy, they would have been good. But they weren't, and so they didn't win. He, he barely, he, he barely played. When he did, he played well, and they got rid of him because they just figured he, they could get better, and they didn't. They got worse. You know, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where I just think Niner fans need to realize that look, this is the reality. Is most Niner fans right now grew up with the two greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game for the most part. I mean, there's other guys that are right there with them, but two of the greatest ever to play the game were back-to-back Niners, and that has tar- that tarnished every Niner fan's viewpoint of what a Niners quarterback should look like from, ever, from, from that point on. And Niner fans need to realize it doesn't always have to be that level to win. And they've won without, without a guy like that. They've, won, they've gone to two Super Bowls without a guy like that. And they were this close in both those Super Bowls to winning Super Bowls with guys not like that. Because Kaepernick and Garoppolo are nowhere near on the level of Montana and Young. They just aren't. And yet, and yet those, th- those two guys were this close to winning Super Bowls. Well, arguably the only guy that's on Montana's level is a guy named Tom Brady. You right. Know, so, I mean, that just shows you how rare this really is. And he had to cheat to get some of those <laughs> Super Bowls. But it's, all, it's also why the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went after him. Because, you know, even him in his 40s is a better fit than other guys. Because if, if you can get an All of Fame quarterback, you do it. And, again, if the, if the Niners can replace, you know, if the Niners found a way to get Deshaun Watson or, or whoever you think is the, the, the best guy out there that, you know, because Mahomes is obviously not going anywhere. But it's like whoever you think the best available guys out there, if he's definitely better than Jimmy G, by all means, go get a better quarterback. But if you don't upgrade, it's a complete waste of time to replace him. Because if you, if you downgrade, you make your team so much worse. 
It says Johnny Dell said, you know, you downgrade you if you if you go with the rookie, you're looking at a, a basically a soft reboot that's going to set us back about three years. And you got a lot of guys in their prime right now. And do we really want Kittle and and uh, some of these other Bosa and some of these other guys sitting around for three years waiting for this quarterback to catch up? You know, like I'm not saying he isn't going to be successful, but that's what you're looking at, especially in the toughest division in the NFL. All right, guys, let's move on to our 49ers wine bottle team. All right, here we go. So we put together the squad. This is not just the best players from the best eras. This is specifically the best players from their best years. So we went even further on this list. Uh, this is the brainchild of our boy Candlestick Will. We put this together using voting from Twitter, our general discussions, and then just kind of looking at some stats. So we're going to start. We're going to open with the O-line. We're going to go through the O-line very quickly and then just kind of name who our team captain is for that line. You know, a lot of this stuff is more advanced metric stuff, and we want to kind of get to the maybe the sexier roles, if you will. No offense to the O-line. We're big fans. So starting at uh, center, we have Bart Oates from 1994. This was the close one. The, the Twitter vote was they wanted 1993 Sapolo, and that was their vote. Uh, we ended up going with Bart Oates only because statistically he did have a better year. Uh, he he played better. His 94 was better than Sapolo's 93. We have Randy Cross at 84. Uh, right guard at right tackle. Harris Barton for 93. And then at left guard, Guy McIntyre in 1992. And then at left tackle and our captain for the O-line, Joe Staley, 2011. I mean, there, there's not a whole lot that can be said for Joe Staley. Uh, he is... You know, one of the stalwarts played his entire career with us, and we decided it, the honorable thing to do was to put him as our team captain for the O-line. So that is our O-line, and then next we have tight ends and wide receivers. So the tight ends, the starting tight ends for the all-decade wine, not all-decade, the wine team, George Kittle. Uh, the honorable mention, uh, the second best would be, of course, Brent Jones, as most of you have guessed by now. Starting wideouts, oh, we well, have— Hold on. Wait, what year for George Kittle? Ah, yes. Uh, the 2018 season, uh, the season that he actually broke the um, yards, most receiving yards by a tight end with 1,377 yards and five touchdowns. Just a monster season. And uh, Travis Kelsey was even actually, actually had the record earlier in the year, but George Kittle beat him out. In that same season and we didn't even have jimmy g that year um so pretty pretty phenomenal stuff from george kittle uh, at the starting whiteouts we have uh jerry rice the 1987 year when he had the still holds record the record of uh, the the record of 22 touchdowns through the air and for the other whiteout position we're going with uh dwight clark the 81 season his uh, best statistical year uh, over 1,100 yards and uh, 85 balls caught that year. Well, and obviously, but you're, you know, don't bury the lead here. He had the catch. Yes, of course. I mean, not, that's... not also the signification of that also cannot go unnoticed. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> just a little thing that happened that year. It's <laughs> one one play, but uh, it was you know it the uh, the the this was a tough one because 89 Taylor was someone that I was also kind of gunning for. Um, 88 Taylor. The cat, the, you know, he, uh, the catching the, the touchdown on the John Candy drive in Super Bowl twenty three. I think those are all two years that you easily could have put in there. But I think the significance, as you were saying, the significance of Clark in eighty one and that catch. Sometimes it comes down to one play, one moment. 
that catapults your career and, and you're forever etched in, you know, sports history. And I think the catch alone, you have to put Clark on the opposite side of Taylor. And I would say Taylor, 89 for st stats or 88 for Super Bowl 23. Taylor's like 1B, but I mean, I, I, I agree that I think Dwight Clark, 81, you have to put him opposite of Jerry Rice, 87. I just think that's a, a no-brainer at that point. So at uh, so a fullback, we got 1989's Tom Rathbun. Um, Runner-up was William Floyd uh, from 94. And then running back was a little bit more complicated because we've had such great running backs in the last 40 years. But you got to go with the GOAT, 1985's Roger Craig, 1,000-1,000 season. It's, it's hard to beat that one. My personal favorite was 88 Craig, but it doesn't compare. Even with the great numbers he put up in 88, 85 is just – otherworldly and the first running back to ever do it shout outs to 98 garrison hurst and 06 frank gore but roger craig's the goat when it comes to running backs for the wine bottle team absolutely the 1000 yards receiving 1000 yards passing only done one other time ever i think is still uh it's a travesty that he's not in the Hall of Fame for that year and for what he did. And I think I think if he didn't fumble in 90, he's probably in the Hall of Fame, you know. Uh, but the Niners probably have three Super Bowls at that point too, so who knows. But uh, Roger Craig, uh, I think sometimes, uh, you know, I, I just think unspokenly sometimes gets punished for the fact that he he had never, you know, he because uh, of that fumble. But um, I think for sure one of the greatest running backs of all time, the high totally. step. Well, isn't there? There's three players that's done a thousand, a thousand. Who's the third? Now, right? Marshall. Who's the Christian third? Christian McCaffrey is well, the, the yeah. latest that oh, did it. Oh, that's he did it last late, year. You're right. That's right. And then that's Marshall right. Falk before him. That's right. That's right. But that he was is. literally within the last year, so it's yeah. pretty new. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He is the third one. He is a uh, CMC is the third one. But yeah, Roger Craig for sure. All right, and our final position for the 49ers wine bottle team is, of course, the quarterback. And uh, this was not an easy one. This is a tough one. But we've got, of course, I think it it is not going to be a surprise to anybody. 1989, Joe Montana over 1994, Steve Young. That's, uh, that is pretty much what we went with here. And let's just talk about some of these highlights because it's out of control. Uh, so 89, Montana, he threw for 3,521 yards. 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions, only eight interceptions. He had a 70% completion rating, which is insane. It's that seven out only three passes out of every 10 were dropped uh, for the entire year. He had a quarterback rating of 112.4. This was the record at that time. He was the NFL MVP, Super Bowl MVP, first to ever win three Super Bowl MVPs. He rushed for 227 yards and earned three touchdowns. Uh, Joe in the Super Bowl threw for 297 yards, five touchdowns against Denver in the Super Bowl, a record at that time. The final score was 55-10, which is still the biggest blowout in Super Bowl history. Now, compare that to Steve Young, because I know there's some people who be like, what about Steve Young 94? Okay, so let's talk about Steve Young 94. He threw for 3,969 yards. 35 touchdowns, obviously surpassing yards and touchdowns for Montana there. He had a 70.3% completion rating. 10 interceptions. Montana gets him on the interceptions. He did defeat uh, Joe Montana's quarterback rating. His quarterback rating was 112.8. I mean, so we're, I mean, they're right there. 
It was his second NFL MVP. He was first Super Bowl MVP, the first and only Super Bowl that Steve Young ever won. He rushed for 289 yards, seven touchdowns uh, that season as when compared to Montana's. He rushed for uh, he rushed for 49 yards and threw for six touchdowns in the Super Bowl defeating the Chargers. He was the first guy to have the most rushes and most touchdowns in a Super Bowl leading both uh, at, at the quarterback position. Now, the question is, okay, well, if statistically, if in every number he's better than Montana, why does Montana get the get the nod? It was Montana's fourth or third Super Bowl. That's what it, that's really, oh, I'm sorry, fourth Super Bowl, fourth Super Bowl. It was his fourth Super Bowl. And I just think the totality of his career to be doing that in year nine, to be to, to be performing at the highest level at it at the at the end of his run with the 49ers. I just think that that overall trumps Young's year. Young, Young, Young managed to pull out that year, which statistically on every mark is better than Montana. No question. But he pulls it out. He, he pulls this year one time. This was Montana's. Fourth Super Bowl, guys. This is his fourth Super Bowl, and he's playing statistically better than he's ever played at any other time in his career on his fourth run at the Super Bowl title. Um, so I think that alone gives him gives him the belt for this uh, for this category. Do you guys agree or disagree, uh, Raymond? I'll throw it to you first. Eighty nine Montana versus ninety four Steve Young. Uh, do you agree with this final pick? I mean. In terms of when you throw the fourth Super Bowl stat in there, I think it's it's indisputable. But if you're looking at them from an individual season perspective, I think it's Steve without even blinking an eye. So you give it to Steve. So if 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 Raymond's the number is the only voice on this wine bottle team, Steve Young ninety four is your, is your pick over Montana eighty nine. Yeah, and the reason why I do that is Steve had a stronger arm. Even though they're both equally accurate that season, um, Steve Young found the end zone more, and he was also a more dynamic quarterback in terms of athleticism because he could kill you on the ground too. That's a great argument. Candlestick Will, what are your thoughts on 89 Montana versus 94 Steve Young? Well, I, I chose Montana. That was who I picked. Uh, one thing I will say, which is hilarious, is, and I know we're in an era now where – Quarterbacks are routinely throwing for 4,000 yards, and these stats that they put up, even though the 70% rare still, that the stats they're putting up are obscene now compared to then. And so the numbers that Montana and Young are putting up then might seem you know, small by comparison. These still might be the two greatest seasons we've ever seen from a quarterback that even though some guys have thrown for more yards and have thrown for more touchdowns that you could put these two seasons up with any other individual seasons in the history of the game. And so it's kind of laughable that the Niners have two of these because again, going back to what we were saying about just how high the bar is for quarterbacks in, in Niner in Niners fandom, these two seasons are, are insane. And Ray's right. If you look at the, just the numbers, Steve Young's better. And I think, the whole purpose of a wine bottle team is that the four Super Bowls actually doesn't matter necessarily because it's just about what one season would you take. And one thing I will say is that being said, if you're going to take one quarterback from one year and have them lead your team, do you want a three-time Super Bowl winning quarterback in his prime who has the kind of year Joe Montana had? Or do you want to have a guy 
who's got more motivation than maybe any quarterback in the history of time because he lost to the Cowboys back-to-back years, has been told he's not good enough to be a starting quarterback for the Niners because he's not Joe Montana, and he went out in 94 and just destroyed the league. Well, which guy do you want? Because to be honest, I don't know which one would actually be the one that's more motivated to win a game if one game's on the line. So it's actually pretty hilarious that you have this choice because I would choose Joe, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't make sense to act like it's a no doubter because of how not only how good Steve Young was in '94, but if you're took, taking it from a like let's go back in time, pull these guys out of you know out of the past, throw them in a game right now, those are two of the most motivated human beings on the planet at their absolute peak of their powers. And both of them are winning that game. Like it's you're not going to lose with Steve Young's '94 season or with Joe Montana's '89 season. I have a bias in my brain towards Joe, and Joe's best season was phenomenal. But Steve Young, right there, you're talking talk about a guy who you knew was going to find a way to win after the losses he had to take against the Cowboys, after the 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 ugliness he had to face about hey, you're not good enough, you're not Joe despite how many amazing years he was putting in, he'd already been an MVP, wasn't good enough for Niner fans. He hadn't won the big one. So the idea that any football player ever has been more motivated to win and dominate than Steve Young's 94 is actually kind of funny. So it's like that to me is what makes these two seasons so in, so unique is that they might be better than any other season. Like I know you were you guys were talking before about Tom Brady, you know, doesn't doesn't win all the ones he's won because he's cheated a bunch of stuff. But, like, his undefeated season, where they were just out to prove they could win no matter what, like, that's the kind of level these two were at. Where it was like they were out to prove something beyond, like, Niners had won Team of the Decade, Montana wasn't done yet. He was ready to show he was the greatest. Steve Young was told he couldn't be the greatest, and he's like, no, I'm going to show you. So, like, that to me is what makes these two seasons so special. It really is. You know, if you're... There's so many good arguments either direction. I really think it just comes down to personal perspective. I think everything we've argued on both sides of these, you could put Steve Young 94 right there and half the, half the faithful could be like, what about Montana 89? And then if you put Montana 89, the other half is going to go, what about Steve Young 94? So you're not going to be able to please everybody, but that's why we had to mention both guys and all their stats together. Uh Raymond got outvoted two to one, Montana 89 <laughs> over Young 94. But that doesn't mean we're right. That's simply what we ended up going with. Yeah, I, you know, I just think the, uh, you know, it's, it's just for the reasons we said in support of Montana. But 94, Steve Young, I mean, is uh, there's, again, you like said, these guys are the two, the apex of their powers. And uh, it's kind of yes and you, Candlestick Will, to think that we got that in, in a six-year span. Those two guys, that was within six years. That's 89, and then that's 94, 95. So it's five, six years. Like, like that. that's insane. His season, if you think about it like this, his season, Steve Young's season is in 94. So that's only five years after Montana just did it. Uh, I, and then he wins the Super Bowl in, 90, in 95. I, I think that's just – well, go ahead. Uh, no, it, it, it is insane. I was just going to say um, – it made me think, uh, Candlestick Will, when you mentioned that, you know, what happened, what what would they, what would these be like if you dropped these two players into this era with, you know, all of the rules that now favor quarterback protection and, um, you know, more points put up by the offense. I mean, I think if you put these two guys in this era, 
I think the current generation is chase is still chasing them. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Patrick Mahomes right now is the best quarterback in the world. Right. And both Montana and young have all the skill sets needed to be just as good as Mahomes in this era, because both of them were, were mobile. They were able to move around in the pocket. They were, you know, Montana, especially when he was healthy was fairly capable of running with the ball. Steve young might be one of the greatest of all time at that. So their mobility wouldn't actually have been much of an issue in this era. And yeah, they're bigger, faster, stronger on defense. So that would have been different, but their ability to see the field, their ability to, to read a defense, their ability to, to find the open man, all that stuff would still apply here. So th their numbers would just, would be just as obscene as Brady's best years, as Mahomes' best years, as you know, all these guys that are putting up, you know, video game numbers like Breeze and, and Manning. Montana and Young would have been right there with them. I mean, I can't imagine what what their careers would have looked like in the modern era if you didn't if you couldn't hit them. I mean, Joe would have played for twenty years just like Brady. I mean, there's no question. Well, and, he, he and probably would have been the, the Niners' only, quarterback for twenty years. Well, and the only reason Joe played. The only played the years that he did was because he got completely destroyed. I mean, the the New York Giants just killed him a couple different yep. times, and you know, I mean, he lost. He almost you know, broke entire... his back. LT he almost wasn't it LT that did that. Well, and then Leonard Marshall, the hit from Leonard Marshall and Jim Bird. I mean, he he got destroyed so many times, so, you know, so many different ways, and it was just a different time. It was a different era, and you know, I I do think though the other part that sometimes people forget when we we try to talk different eras. That you know, Mon people that might say that Montana and Young might not be the athletes that some of these quarterbacks are now. Well, they also would have had if you put them in this era, they'd also have the twelve months, you know, three sixty five training that these guys do, and they would have been better versions of themselves athletically, and they would have had access to all this treatment and everything else. So they would have been better prepared week to week for the physical grind. You know, they would have also known about the physical grind that they'd expect. They would be playing in high school and college with these better, faster, stronger athletes too. So, yeah, obviously, if you bring like a Sammy Baugh or a Johnny Unitas into this era, they'd be shell shocked by the, you know, the the level of play and the speed. But the, any great will adapt, and any great will adjust. And Montana and Young are two of the greatest to ever live. Totally. I mean, and despite that, I mean, Steve Young still rushed for over forty two hundred yards, <laughs> and and forty nine touchdowns or 43 touchdowns including 7 in the 94 season the most uh by the most he did and most he rushed for in any season I almost put I almost put the 2008 JTO Sullivan season in here but I just decided it just it just <laughs> it just it just it just missed just the cut out, just by a little bit <laughs> Oh my gosh uh so that is it that is our wine bottle offense team and so what say you, Goldcast Empire? Do you agree with our picks? Do you agree with our uh, our total list? Let me go through the list one more time so that you have it. So our total list, uh, starting with uh, starting with the, the O-line, you got Bart Oates, 1994, over 93 Sapolo at center. You've got Randy Cross at right guard, 1984. You've got Harris Barton at right tackle for 93. Guy McIntyre. Uh, at 1992, which was over 2012, you potty. We have honorable mentions for all these, but we're just mentioning the ones that we think are 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 worth contention. And then at left tackle, Joe Staley, 2011. At tight end, we have George Kittle, 2018, over 1993, Brent Jones. We have Dwight Clark 
1981 at wide receiver over 1989, John Taylor. And then Rudy's personal pick of 1988, John Taylor. We have Jerry Rice, 1987 over 2001 T.O. At uh, running back, we have Tom Rathman at 1989 over 1994's William Floyd. And then we have Roger Craig, 1985 over 1998 Garrison Hurst or 2006 Frank Gore. And then controversially at the top spot, 1989 Joe Montana over 1994 Steve young so do you agree with our final picks is there a year we haven't thought of is there a player that you think deserves to be on this list someone from the lost years of like 2000 to 2012 that uh you think we might be missing let us know in the comments uh and uh here's a fun one if you could pick a wine bottle coach guys before we go what, what wine bottle year just off the top of your head just kind of just off the top of your head if you had to pick a wine bottle coach for a wine for to head this team off, what's the wine bottle year? Which coach? I think I have my answer. I want to see what your guys' answer is. Nin- Nineteen eighty four, Bill Walsh. Raymond. Mm. Yeah, I'd have to go Bill Walsh. What year? Yeah, eighty four. Me too. Eighty four, Bill Walsh. Hundred percent. Fifteen and one, man. Fifteen and one. It's undeniable. And that was. I mean, that's that's him again. We talk about you know. The wine bottle idea came from the ringer and Bill Simmons and that, you know, brainchild. And, you know, they, they talk all the time about when someone's at the peak of their powers, right? And 1984, now he's, that's his, that was his second Super Bowl. That was his best team. That was when Bill Walsh had, was firing on all cylinders. You know, he was still hungry and young and scrappy as far as, you know, in the game as a head coach. And that team dominated on all sides of the football. Absolutely. 1984. Uh, Bill Walsh heading up this monster offensive squad. I'm not sure how many people are beating us. Not many, I'll tell you that. All right, so let us know in the comments. Go to youtube.com slash the gold cast and let us know who your choices are, if you agree or if you think there was someone else. And mainly that Montana Young, where do you stand on it? All right, folks, we'll be back later on in the week with Candlestick Will to discuss our 49ers defense wine bottle team. And so concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III. And with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. And our esteemed co-host. Candlestick Will. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. This is, is the Gold Cast.